the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 230 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. It was all a dream, I used to read Word Up magazine, salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine, and your pictures on my wall, every Saturday rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall, I let my tape rock till my tape pop, smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on props, not way back, when I had the red and black lumberjack, with the hat to back. Savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, and that's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Hopefully you're listening to this before the fight, because I'm back on my old grind. That's right. Uh, getting this to you late. Uh, apologies. Uh, as per usual, it's going to be a late Thursday night, so you probably ain't getting this till early Friday morning for you guys who are really uh, keeping your ears to the grindstone. But no worries, I will have you covered. Uh, this will be an expedited version. Hopefully, as you're looking down at your time player, I'm actually sticking to that and not just saying it at the top of the episode and still delivering you a long one. But no, uh, it, it's going to be strictly breakdown. We're not recapping. We're not really talking current events. Maybe a couple notes off the top here or there. But uh, no, we're going to be getting down to business. It's a pay-per-view week. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you think, well, shouldn't you be earlier for the pay-per-view? Yes, in theory. But as you know, Dan Tom is a spinning plates like I've got the arms of Shiva, except the problem is I don't. And uh, on pay-per-view weeks, um, even though my writing did get cut down a bit, they're still, uh, they're still pretty hefty on these weeks. So. so as much as, in other words, as much as I would like to, yes, ideally get these out to you earlier, they are always harder, and I, especially those of you who know me, Always a madman on these weeks, man. It's just the work never stops, uh, even when there's fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, whether it was the you know the gathering of last one or uh, you know Halloween, my favorite holiday going on this one. Which uh, happy belated Halloween, you guys. Hopefully, you all survived it well and uh, and uh, you know had some fun. Uh, got to do some things, and if not, at the very least, you did the most important thing, which seemingly very few people do, which is. See scary movies, and Dan Tom tweeted out a list. Um, shouts to Drew Jitsu at Hip Hop Since Seventy Six, listener of the show, wanted to know, uh, and, and a couple other people did too. Uh, wanted to know what scary movies Dan Tom was into. So, so I tweeted a bunch of them. Hopefully, you went to check some of those out. Um, had some random ones on there, like Zombie Twos, a French flick from the seventies or early eighties, I believe. But you see a zombie fight a shark, which is fun. Dead and Breakfast, which is a Kind of a musical zombie movie, which uh, uh, doesn't sound that great, but it's got some some good actors. It's got David Carradine, that's right. Before he before he choked himself masturbating, David Carradine. Isn't this a martial arts? We're getting to it. We're getting to it, and uh, and some other fun fun ones there. The Video Dead, another old school one. But uh, I actually went to go see a movie uh, for the first time in 2018. I think I haven't been to a movie theater since uh, you know uh, since last year. Part of the reason for the aforementioned crazy schedule and. Just really lack of company to go see a movie, uh, to be honest. I mean, I don't want to be like fucking, <clears throat> you know, I also feel like Robert De Niro from Taxi Driver where I go, go see a movie by myself, you know. Uh, not that I'm going to those type of <laughs> theaters, if you're familiar with that reference of Taxi Driver there. But uh, but no, I actually had some company of a lady and uh, went to go see it. the new Halloween. It was, um, 
it's pretty good. Uh, you know, as far as like, you know, it was the throwback, uh, you know, um, <laughs> definitely some things, things you can pick apart, but you really can't, can't take those movies too seriously. You have to appreciate them what, for, for what they are. And I, I grew up with, uh, classics such as those from the seventies, as well as into the really where you can't take it seriously, eighties uh, kind of gore, horror genre, if you will. Um, but, uh. But yeah, I, I can't remember anything too much off the top of Halloween that I really wanted to say. I will say though, it made me want to revisit that Rob Zombie Halloween. I believe it did Rob Zombie direct that one. It had the it had Malcolm McDowell from A Clockwork Orange. He played the uh, uh, the doctor, if you will. But uh, I remember they they did a really cool thing with music in that one. But I also remember, and I don't know if it was for better or worse. Help refresh my memory. Hit me up on Twitter at Dan Tom MMA. Say Dan Tom, not worth a rewatch. Dan Tom, it was decent. Dan Tom, no, no, it was actually pretty good. Like you're remembering, whatever your opinion is, hit me up and maybe save me, save me the time of the rewatch. But uh, I remember not being able to like nail the time of like what fucking time period is uh is this movie taking place? Anyways, uh, I'm, I'm gonna get to the breakdown talk here. Just gonna just gonna plow through real quick. Um, but yeah. Uh, one movie that I do want to see, I know someone was just giving me shit too. Like, like Dan, you really haven't seen Deadpool? No, I was not kidding. I'm I'm way behind on stuff. But I will tell you, the next movie I'm going to see in theater uh, is uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, for those who don't know, know a huge Queen fan, Freddie Mercury, my opinion, is probably his number one best vocalist of all time. Top one for Dan Tom, right, right up there with uh, David Bowie and uh, Davey Havoc. I know they're all kind of very similar. It's really lame choices by me in that sense, but... Man, you cannot de deny uh, Freddie Mercury from Zanzibar. Uh, fucking badass, man. A badass. And uh, I'm glad they casted uh, relative no-names. or Everyone's a no-name to Dan Thompson. So I don't go see movies. Perhaps they, these guys are established actors now. But, uh, but that looks really good. So I'm really stoked to see that. But, uh, yes. Um, okay, last note before... Uh, last note before... Well, two, two more notes, actually, before we get, jump right into this breakdown. And... Uh, I'm going to zip through this breakdown here, guys, so, so so thanks for bearing with me. Don't worry, I'm not going to jaw your ears too much longer needlessly. Uh, 100th episode's coming up. I just realized, this one says 99, so that means 100 episodes going to be well, UFC Fight Night 139, yay. I don't know if that's like really, that's how I should ring in the 100th episode, you know what I'm saying? Another drawing, Fight Night, UFC space filler, as I call it. But at the same time, let's be, let's be honest, this podcast ain't that special. I'm lucky to have listeners with my annoying ass, so it's not like uh, it's really that deserved of anything that special. That said, I am open to listener suggestions. If you have an idea uh, of anything you want to do, if you, if you want me to whip up uh, some kind of a, a top five episode or some kind of a other kind of a themed episode, some kind of a fun roundtable episode, maybe uh, you know, uh, getting past guests to regular guests uh, on the Protect Your Neck podcast. If you are a regular guest and want to come on, feel free to reach out or have an idea in that sense. Because um, so, so far, the only idea, and I haven't even rolled it by, I don't even know if uh, old Brian B. Rye is going to be down to do it, but was going to ask Brian, since he was a part of the first episode, which took place uh, 2017, going into 2018. It was after Ronda Rousey got beat by Amanda Nunes. Uh, it was a post-show. Don't go back and listen to it. In fact, don't go back and listen to a lot of the shows. Uh, if you think I'm unbearable now, oh, just you wait. You go listen to older Dan Tom. It is worse. Fuck. But yes, that was the the first show, drunken as it may have been. Um, but I was thinking of uh, getting Brian back on. 
not so much alcohol, but uh, maybe just having him jump on and just uh, just for the shits of it, and having him join me for like a breakdown episode or whatever, you know, just so I can have some some company to break me down, and you guys can have a break from me and kind of uh, bring things back in in somewhat tradition. Um, I will. I made it a point where I, I uh, last thing before we get to this breakdown, and this actually has to do with the breakdown. I made it a point to where I'm like, okay, I've been bad about skipping over the fantasy stuff. And I know that content's been in kind of a, a weird purgatory-like limbo lately. I have not forgot about it, but I'm not going to deny where it's been. Um, I do not like to leave you guys hanging. I brought in my man Jordan Fiegelman. Shouts, Jordan Fiegelman. Uh, he's my usual fantasy guy for sure. Um, but uh, I'm probably going to be blowing through, and I already know I'm going to miss it. So just to get ahead in case I don't touch on anything fantasy, um, I just want to give another shout-out in the fantasy department. Again, Dan Tom gives, uh, likes to give shouts out you know, anybody... Just from whatever you're in, a, you know, you're in, you're in a journalist, you're an interviewer, you're a capper, you're whatever. Uh, you know, I, I gave shouts to the homies, the homie Rob Brown, a couple weeks back, and uh, another man that I respect on the grind within the fantasy, rounding it back to the fantasy department is uh, Kyle Marley, uh, Big Marley at Big Marley Three. Uh, you may know him from. Uh, uh, half the battle podcast or uh what i'm referring to this is his article that you can go check out for you fantasy because uh, you know people hit up for fantasy things sometimes i don't cover like hey what do you think of this so not that i mind you guys hitting me up i just feel bad because it, it's a reminder that I, I didn't do my job here so for you real hardcore fantasy nuts because i know i'm not going to be able to um, get to you today and i know that's not really a <laughs> very optimistic of a podcaster to say but just as an, an assurance, he, this dude only charges, I think, like seven ninety nine or something for his write-ups. He puts a shit ton of work into it. That's uh, Kyle Marley. And uh, the dude knows his stuff about fantasy, man, and uh, and whatnot. So go ahead and uh, give him a follow. And if you uh, are really into that kind of stuff and, and you're, you're you're dumping all your money, you know, that adds up, man. I, I Again, I, I'm going to get back into it with the Vegas rules, but with, with the Vegas legal rules, I haven't been able to play for a minute. But, but when I did... That shit adds up quick, so, uh, you know, you end up spending money anyway. So just, I'm not telling you what to do with your money, just, just not that I would ever, I don't do that on my own podcast, so I, I wouldn't do that for somebody else, but I do like to give people shouts. So there's a shout too, Kyle. All right, so now we're going to go uh, into the breakdown of the show, as we normally do, in depth from bottom to top. i got to re-refresh my lines, because I, I talk too damn much, because we're 10 minutes in, and uh, yeah, it's probably about normal. I like to aim for about 10 minutes and jump into the things, but again, expedited, Dan. Expedite. Let's go fast here. No, I'm not on speed. I did have my first coffee in two weeks, though. So you, yeah, let, that, essentially I'm on speed. So yeah, if you're wondering, eh, Dan's sounding extra uh, fast. But yeah, I want to pull this up. Just wanted to say I mentioned one earlier with jujitsu. But you know, shouts to all the other uh, junkies and people in the combat chat, especially the positive people, which is most of y'all. But uh, especially man, uh, it, it's just it's it, we we don't. We slash I don't give shouts to those people enough, so definitely wanted to give you guys who um, were the positive ones, the bunches, especially with, uh, <clears throat> you know, st stuff with uh, previous junkies. It's it's good that we our community is probably tighter now than than, than ever. Or at least we should strive to be. And uh, shame on you if you are a negative cunt. All right, we're going from the bottom to the top as per usual, guys. UFC fight pass starting there. Uh, this is going to be Adam Vicharek, minus 210 versus Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Comeback on him is plus 175. 
Um, if you, we, you, you might not be familiar with him because he hasn't fought in a while, but just cue up the music video. Welcome to my house. He looks just like that guy. He literally looks like that guy, right? Like, go, go to that music video and tell me that's not Rogerio DeLima. I'll wait. Right? Am I right? And, uh, anyways. Uh, but, uh, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of a wild fight. Um, but I think people kind of warm to a Vitorek. I think they're just like, ah, you know, filler, shitty European. And that might not necessarily be untrue. You know, as far as the state of the heavyweight or light heavyweight division, both divisions, let's be honest. Well, uh, and if you want to stereotype regions. But, um, you know, even on his debut, uh, if you remember, uh, he was actually not just a pick, but a play. I was pretty high on him watching him, uh, you know. And again, it's not like he's facing world beaters. I mean, it was Anthony Hamilton then. It's uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima now. Um, I can't remember if I picked a, a Buller against him. I may have still, I may have taken him. But if, even if I did take Buller, I know I was one of the few where I was like, hey, don't disrespect this Vicharek guy, man. He's, he's, he's live as shit. Uh, so regardless if I was on the right or wrong side, uh, I know I didn't disrespect uh, Vicharek. He's a slightly more effective Stefan Struve. Again, that's not, not promising. I'm not going to say he's going to be a champion, much less a contender here. But for the region he's fighting out of, the region he's competing in, the division he's competing in, and the level of competition he's competing against, well, yes, uh, pretty confident in him here as he's, a, he's another play for me again here. Uh, his line, I think, again, people were pretty onto it, so, so the line's kind of, uh, for, you know, for, 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 for a matchup that you really shouldn't be playing, regardless of your feeling on, like, too heavily, because, again, this is this get, not, the, not the most reliable sample sizes or in the most reliable division, but... Uh, there is action on it, and, and I'm a part of that action. But on, on the plus side, um, not just because going for a plus number, it's just because I see it by sub. He does appear to be getting his striking better. Uh, Delima's not beyond getting rocked, but he hasn't been finished since, like, 2012. And uh, I'm pretty sure I saw that fight, like, back in the day, like, 2015, when I was, like, doing research for him back then. But I, I couldn't seem to track it this time. Um, but, yeah, uh, the subs, though, seem to be there. That that doesn't seem to be an area he's putting too much in. I know Alex Davis was complaining that he was getting tested more than another guy, which is weird. Because uh, he's only been, he only did like barely the last month in American Top Team. He's been up to, you know, uh, I think he started, he only went up, flew up there like in the beginning of uh, October, according to his Instagram. And uh, he doesn't look any tighter. You know, it looks like he, he's always had kind of room to tighten up, but he never does. And, uh, he looks arguably maybe even looser coming to this one. And, you know, I'm not uh, making any accusations, but if you want to correlate that to him being uh, tested the most, well, I don't know what to say. Either way, he doesn't have a consistent sample size to back on, and uh, I'm going to go with the guy, Vicharik, who is now going to be in his junior uh, UFC performance and seemingly gets better each time out, dating back from his regional fights. So play and pick is Vicharik. Next fight. Uh, Montel Jackson minus 125, Brian Kelleher plus 105. This line tightened up a bit, I imagine, because people like me, whether you were from not familiar with Jackson or like me, were, were, were somewhat familiar uh, since this uh, Dana White Contender Series. I uh, had to do a, 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 a write-up on the, that season, write-ups write that I did on that season, which I will be bringing back for you guys that gave me a positive reinforcement on that, not to worry. But yeah, um, that being said, I was like, oh, Kelleher's probably live here, and I think People were just throwing money that way. Because when I look closer, even though I wanted to pick my man Boom Kelleher, love love Brian Boom Kelleher, I think it's a tough fight. Um, it's a tough fight. You know, uh, Montel Jackson, limited sample size. It's crazy. He's only been a pro since June 2017. So, you know, like a year, barely, a, not even a year and a half technically. But 
you just see this, uh, and I hate doing the, just because the guy's black and he's athletic compared to John Jones, it feels disingenuous or <laughs> racist. Uh, not, obviously not, not racist, but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It doesn't feel right or fair. <clears throat> but I could see those comparisons here. I remember people were doing that to <clears throat> Aljo when he first came on the scene for obvious reasons. And he even, you know, uh, I had connect personal connection, uh, New York wise with John Jones. Um, but, uh, but I actually see it more with, um, Jackson here who, you know, the commentators rightfully so commentating on his hands and the size of his hands and, you know, five ten, one thirty five pounds Southpaw. You know, we were interviewing him, uh, today, uh, being Thursday on MMA junkie radio. And he's just saying he makes the weight comfortably, which is why he was able to take it on short notice. His only loss against, uh, Ricky Simon Vato, and, uh, you know, he just got out grinded, outworked, and, and that's Simone's game. And Simone, you know, five-fight winning streak or something off the top of my head, and no joke there. Um, and I, I believe that's why I picked him there, to, to outwork him. But, uh, you know, he still had gas, though, Montel Jackson. He might have been worried, you know, to, to, to gas, and rightfully so. He's a new fighter. He's taking it on short notice against a high-paced grinder. and First real UFC fight, you know, in front of a big audience. Those contender series are small. So all things considered, it was a really good learning experience. Like, learning experiences could go much worse for you in the UFC. Um, and he just has that freakish base and balance from his wrestling background where he was able to reverse these deep positions. So I, I don't know if not only Kelleher is going to be able to get him down, but I'm not even sure if Kelleher is going to be able to outscramble him. And he's more of, like, that kind of counter-wrestling type... Um, like John Jones to where he's only, you know, if he's going going for a takedown, it's the sure shot. So, in other words, it's going to be real tough to see him, like, dive into a guillotine. Like, Kelleher is going to have to hurt him on the feet, which is a tall task in a literal and figurative sense, um, and then hope he panics on him and then shoots, you know? Like, I just only see... He's got to get to some kind of position to get that guillotine because that's, like, really, you know, one of the only ways I, I see him winning this fight, and I hate to say it because I was, like, looking for ways... To pick Kelleher here, and I actually ended up, you know, boring siding with the favorite here. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, I'll be rooting for Kelleher for sure. My heart is with Kelleher here, but Jackson's the pick. It is, it is on the avoid list. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, bringing that back for this one. We'll recap my picks and plays at the end here. All right, um, Shane Burgos minus th three thirty is the next fight. We're still on fight pass portion, and he's facing Kurt Holabaugh. The comeback is plus two seventy. Uh, speaking of MMA junkie radar earlier today, I, I misquoted again. <laughs> Kind of a word I, I was talking about maybe last episode or a couple episodes back of kind of, you know, uh, the balance of, uh, you know, observations as I just kind of go through speaking aloud. I'm very honest. This is nothing. I believe I give a shit about uh, picks or any of that. I'm not, uh, I'm not putting my, my, my reputation on it. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not uh, doing any of that. Uh, uh, or anything like that, but this is a, a, a podcast where you know I'm obviously very honest, and we talk about um, strategy and perception and how we look at fights and break them down. And we're having that conversation about you know Jordan. That's right, we had Jordan Killian on here, and just talking about you know you interview fighters and how, how you felt that affected him, and I, I, I felt the same, and and uh, and just kind of uh, for me more particular, being on a five day a week radio show, you're you're always kind of in the thick of it, and. It's quick responses, it's hot takes, and because of that, you see a lot of people say stupid stuff, and myself included. Um, and I was kind of coming to the defense of more people that are kind of more noted for saying stupid stuff and get a lot of crap and kind of 
coming to their defense saying, I, you know, understanding that more as I, I, I get into this. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, uh, and, and part of that byproduct, just kind of having to have quick takes, I was just kind of promoting the card as far as the undercard, you know, because this card, you know, I, I know I get all jaded and shit and, you know, UFC space filler, yay. And I, I call all these cards fucking space filler 230 or whatever. And I make these jokes and cracks, but honestly, uh, this is a really, this is, this is a really good card for hardcores. If you know, you know, if you, as far as action fighters, matchups, um, Matchups with meaning, last-minute matchups that still end up having meaning. Uh, so th there's a really lot to take away that's positive, despite all the shuffling about. I don't know how the reaction is ground level to this card, but but this is this is a good card here. And uh, anyways, sorry, long-winded point, but back to today's show. Back to Kurt Holba. I, I mistaked him with Hani Barcelos and uh, mistaked him like as if for him getting the win, uh, which he which he didn't. Uh, obviously, he. <laughs> Uh, Honey Barcelos did, but it was it was it was a great competitive fight. I guess is what I was trying to say, and just build up this fight. Cause I'm excited for the for the Shane Burgos fight. Uh, it didn't slay my pick at all. Um, I didn't put a pick out there or anything like that, but uh, I felt like I gave the impression that I, I was confusing the two, which I kind of was. I just that the, I, I was just kind of doing a quick run through of the, of the uh, card, so I didn't want to mislead anybody there. But uh, but yeah, Holabaugh's an action guy, man. I mean, you know, a lot, lot, lot of his finishes are by punches. He can throw kicks pretty well too. Obviously, the brown belt in jujitsu. That's kind of a where he likes to favor the finishes from. Um, I, 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 if I were him, though, I'd be spamming head kicks against a guy who's, you know, rolling and kind of shoulder rolling like Burgos, you know. I'll be interested to see how much Burgos adjusts his style, but Burgos is a really good head about him. You know, he wasn't making too big of uh, excuses in interviews I saw after the fight or leading into this fight. Um, he's always kind of, you know, a pretty good head about his shoulders uh, for sure. Um, you know, real grateful to where he's at. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just really... A uh, really big fan of Burgos, you know. I, I say it all the time. I say it all the time. I, I, of course, I, I fell in love in that fight where he's uh, getting his hair cut and he's mid mid fight uh, in New York with, with uh, uh, he's fighting was it Tiago not Tiago Tavares Tiago Trator, and uh, of course I said this on the podcast year before um, last year Junkie Gathering last year was sitting with uh, sitting uh, with Burt Watson and uh, at Texas Day Brazil was just chatting with him and was just asking him about like you know. Any fighters uh, coming up, uh, you just really just, you think, you know, really got it and whatnot. And he was talking about uh, Shane Burgos because he, he worked with him uh, before he went to, before Burgos got to the UFC, I should say. Uh, he was probably doing site coordination at uh, one of the events he was working and whatnot and was just raving about him, saying he's got it, he's got it. And, uh, you know, his, he's coming off a loss, but that loss aged well. I mean, that's, that's you know, Calvin Qatar and uh, look look at him now, you know. And we were talking to Calvin today too, and he was saying the same thing. I and mean, when you look at the fortunes, how they changed for, you know, between him, Moicano, and uh, Burgos. I mean, they the, those three can take a loss and bounce back. And uh, two out of the three proved it so far. Now it's time to see if Burgos can. I think he can. I'm, I'm picking him here. Um, I could see it, it being possible. I was tempted to play the under, but then I could kind of see where this could be a fight where both guys really want to make sure to get the win and secure their spot in the UFC. Um, Halibuz had to work hard to get there, whereas Burgos has more to protect, so they both have high stakes, in other words. But yeah, I'm going with Burgos there. All right, uh, next fight, we got Lando Venata, minus 260, versus Matt Steamroller. Vola, plus 220. Last fight in the fight pass portion. Uh, this one's lined about right. Uh, I can't disagree, although you know I was almost tempted to put this one on my avoid list, too, just because... 
I, I don't know how much you could trust either guy. You know, uh, Frivola, even though we haven't seen his gas tank as much, obviously, as he's not as experienced, you, you almost want to think that maybe he's got a better gas tank, you know, than uh, Venata if it starts going, because Frivola looks like he's just got that, uh, I was going to say retard strength, but uh, that's not only does that mean, but that's not uh, what I was trying to say, is it right? But he's got like that, that, that ginger, like redhead, like, ah, like, I forget, like listening to one of like, uh, fuck, what was it, one of like the old fight companions back in the day before they were fight companions when they were still like a death squad podcast probably. And, uh, I think, uh, one of the comedians was watching Jim Miller, you know, getting introduced and Jim Miller, though not as obvious of a, of a redhead kind of a dude, he goes, he calls him a redhead. He goes, look at that redheaded guy there referring to Jim Miller. He's like, that guy looks like he's been beat to shit. Like, his dad beat the shit out of him since he was eight, and now he's going to take that in there. I thought that was, like, the funniest descriptor of a fighter that, that, that kind of worked, even though I don't, I don't think that was the case with Jim. At least I hope not. But you know what I mean. Like, I get what he was saying. And uh, Matt Steamroller, Favola, kind of has a little bit of that to him. And, of course, I always do the Steamroller thing because it's just funny. It's just he, I was, uh, that was one of the few Dana White's contender series I was at. And uh, he's had this contingent there. That was one of the more memorable contingents we were talking about on the show today. And, and among it was a uh, randomly, it was Tough Five fucking Monster Lobster was there. Uh, I forget what the guy's actual name is, but Monster Lobster from Tough Five alum. And they were all going, Steamroller. So it was funny when the Duho Choi Stevens card comes along, he makes his UFC debut. Of course, he gets fucking knocked stiff, fights stupid with Pollo Reyes. Um, I even played him that card. You know, dumb on me on hindsight. I thought he was just going to. Go out there and do it. But again, he's a young fighter. You couldn't trust the sample size and, and paid for it there. Um, him and anybody like me who played him. Uh, but but it was funny, though, because it was great. It was before the, even before the fight. He's not even fighting. And that fight wasn't like in St. Louis. And this guy's from New York. But you're just hearing, even in the venue, you're hearing steamroller. And I'm like getting flashbacks. Like I'm the fucking contender series again. <laughs> and it's great. So I'm hoping... I mean, if they if they can do that in the, the, this fucking arena, Madison Square Garden, if I can, if you hear a steamroller, they fucking earned it. Um, so I'm going to be, uh, take a shot if you hear steamroller. That said, I'm not taking a shot on steamroller. I'm picking Lando Venata here. Uh, despite the gas tank issues, uh, I I would argue that we, we might have seen some improvement as far as his pacing. You know, I'm more of the school that I think, you know, you either have knockout power, or you don't. You either have a good chin, or you're just you're somewhere below that. Um, and the same thing with the gas tanks. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how convinced that you can. How much, you know, especially guys like Venata, who they they've been training at elevation for years now. Uh, they're they're an athlete. Uh, what's they're, you know, not a lot of excuses there as far as why they're coming up short. It's just a genetic thing, I think, at a certain point, right? That being said, I think he was able to pace himself better because fighters can improve how they pace themselves. And uh, I would argue that he paced himself much better. He was even going really hard uh, in that third round against Drakkar Close, who, again, you know, Venata's, uh, I dare say, his defeats are aging pretty well. I mean, you know, Bobby Green is, is inconsistent, but when Bobby Green shows up, he's fucking good, you know? And Bobby Green showed up for portions of that fight, for sure. And it was a fun fight, and it was a draw, so, I mean... Uh, you know, as far as that goes, the obviously the Ferguson short notice, no need to say there, does great against Bakdesi, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, David Timor, who's like you know five and zero, whatever in the lightweight division, quietly contender. I mean that that loss aged very well. 
And that guy's been outpacing, defending takedowns, and putting it on every duty faces. So is it that so bad in hindsight? And Dracar Close, again, that's aging better too. Dracar Close has been looking better every fight. A hard guy to get a beat on already was probably going to be a stifling fight. Though I actually thought it was a pretty decent matchup because I thought Venata... Um, would have the urgency and wrestling to beat him in the clinch. He showed some crafty, crafty tricks, but whether he was too afraid to gas and let him get ahead in those early clinch exchanges, he didn't show the urgency that I thought, or the effectiveness that I thought he was going to have against Close, who, again, credit to Close, and I dare say in my defense, was one of those cases where Close comes out and has, like, way overperforms than has other performances. Like, not just looks better, but looks way better. Like, took a, took a considerable jump in that fight. Um, compromised his leg. Not only compromised his leg, but if you look, he also lands a key elbow uh, to land damage, which, again, as we're learning with Lando Venata, he uh, doesn't wear damage well, and, of course, that takes effect in the scorecards as well because I didn't necessarily remember the fight at first, so before I went to rewatch it, I, I looked at the numbers, and if you look at the numbers, like it looks like Venata should win two rounds to one on the numbers. Uh, it looks like it's a close fight, but just by the numbers, Venata puts more on the scoreboard, the proverbial scoreboard, if you're just you know going strictly by those numbers, which aren't indicative of the story. He could have argued, you could argue a point that he wins you know, two rounds to one. But in one of those rounds where he's putting more on the score, scoreboard is, the, I believe, the second round where he gets that elbow landed on him by close. So it's like, all that's for naught because he just gets a gash on his head that just lost him the round in the judge's eyes anyways, right? Um, not that I had an issue with that round going to close, but I'm just just making that point. So uh, uh, speaking of close, yeah, so an improved Venata can still <laughs> seemingly find himself in close fights. So that's why uh, I don't trust it. Um, as the commentators were saying in that fight, it seems like pressure and pressure against the fence seems to be an effective tool uh, against Venata in general. And that's Frivola's game, you know? Um, we'll just see if he's, you know, uh, stay smart and, uh, continues to push through because it's not that he has, even though his, his, his striking is not great and his defense is not great at all. I'm not, I'm not saying that as far as steamroller goes, but I mean, if you look at his fights, uh, his previous fights, he's rolling his head off his twos and when, I mean, it's not the prettiest things in the world, but the dude's aware of head movement in space and he was able to get away with it in previous fights because he kept pushing forward to the fence. The problem with the Reyes fight is he would do that and then he would back right back into Reyes's range and was just setting himself up to eat, eat those hooks and whatnot. So I, I see it more as just a, a fight IQ process we need to watch for to see if Matt Favola can overcome that. Um, my heart's with him here, but but I'm picking Venata, and uh, I'm just staying away. It's not official on the avoid list, but it could very well be. All right, moving to the FS1 portion. We got Lyman Good minus 650. Ben Saunders plus 475 is a comeback on him. Killa B. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I can't I can't argue uh, I can't argue that. I, I I could see why you know um, even though you know. It'll, you you make a 2015 to 2017 jump two times in the last three years fighting for Lyman Good not good, but um, I get it. Or I should say Lyman Good, as Goes likes to say, and that's a that's a poor attempt to the Emperor from Star Wars. Good, and I can so yeah. Anyway, so hopefully I get stuck in your head. Goes got it stuck in mine every time I see Lyman Good. Anyways, and he's just got the fucking force flowing through his arms. Jesus Christ. How does this guy get bigger? <laughs> like, Usada comes, he gets busted, he comes back fucking twice as huge. I don't get it. 
think I was tweeting live with Lance Fischl at the time. Say, how's this guy fucking bigger now? But uh, yeah, I don't know who said that, but they were right. He is fucking bigger, um, and he looks all jacked up heading into this fight too. So he's probably gonna win by knockout, which sucks because I, I like uh, Ben Saunders a lot. Um, we had Ben Saunders on the show recently, and man, Ben Saunders validated. You know, Dan Tom loves to hammer home these same fight night cards. You see, fight night thirteen mainly take a shot if you're playing the Protecting Night podcast drinking game. Or one I've been bringing up a lot lately, lately, which was UFC Fight Night 16. I think UFC Fight for the Troops. It was UFC Fight for the Troops one, but it wasn't their first show. Like their first show was technically back in the day. Like you had like guys like Nakamura and shit. It was like back in 2006. But this was like their first official fight for the troops. This was Fort Campbell, I want to say. But uh, but yeah, it was like uh, Yoshida and Koshik at the top of the bill. You had Razak Al-Hassan, not the one you guys know now, a different one who got his arm snapped in half by Steve Cantwell, the guy that uh, beat Brian Stam for the light heavyweight championship in the WEC back in the day. Um, you had, uh, fuck, I forget who else, some guy gave a guy a rib injury. Uh, Corey Hill snapped his shin. Ben Saunders, of course, teed up Brandon and Wolf's face. Like, it was a fucking... It was, like, it was one of the most violent cards I ever saw. It felt like Kumite. Like, I literally... Remember, like, telling myself the car, like, I wish I could, this was, like, before Fight Pass, I was looking for a pause, because I'm like, I need to fucking calm down. Like, this is, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how much more fucking violence I can see. And I brought up the Ben Saunders in the interview. It was the most validating thing ever, because not only did he say the same thing, granted, he fought on the card, and he contributed to the violence, sure enough, landing, like, 49 knees in 45 seconds or some ridiculous stat. Uh, but he talked to, he's like, yeah, I talked to Joe Silva about that fight. And Joe Silva says, that's the most violent card he's ever seen. And if you looked at the stream on the MMA Junkie Radio episode, I'm, I'm fucking fist bumping. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. Cause I'm just so stoked. Like that, that's the ultimate validation. Having, uh, a, a smug, a smug, a, a smug yet. I, got, I say that all with respect because uh, the second part to that fucking, encyclopedia of a guy who, if anybody knows that guy, Joe fucking knows, UFC matchmaker, Coxman, shout out to the best fake uh, Twitter profile that just seemed to go away, I don't know, where did fake Joe Silva go, we need the Coxman back, but no, the real Joe Silva, I mean, if that guy says it, Jesus Christ, uh, you know it's true, so um, that was kind of cool, but anyway, sadly, I'll be rooting for Saunders, but sadly, I think Good gets the KO here. Everything's pretty juiced up. The inside the distance lines, you pretty much got to play. I would play the under if you're going to play anything in that fight. If you really want to go degenerate and you're still having to do juice at a minus 135. And that's for a one and a half. So, I mean, you're just being super degenerate at that point. But I got a degenerate bet that I actually played in the next one, which I'll, I'll give to you. It's going to be Julio Arce, minus 270 against Shaman Marais, plus 230. Shaman. Come on, Shaman. Uh... Got Arce here, actually. Uh, uh, Shaman, man, I was rewatching that last fight. Uh, some of these fights I'm realizing, because like, I'm so, I don't know if it's because I'm burnt or just so fucking busy that I end up running errands with, uh, you know, the fights, because I can play the fights on my phone if it's Fight Pass or the FS1 prelims, that sometimes I'm, you know, I'm not really watching the fights as close as I should be on fight day. So I'll come across certain fights like, I don't remember this one that well, and, and I remember being preoccupied at the time. This was a good fight to watch back, which was Shaman Rise and Matt Sales. Of course, Sales, uh, was impressive from the contender series. Um and and but yeah, um, and I feel bad for for sales, but it was again, it was a good prospect loss. Like as far as prospect losses go, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you know, he, he kind of got, you know, jobbed a little bit by the ref, but that was more just shaming work in the ref, you know, using the old Brazilian shit as they say, the old Brazilian shit, you know, calling for eye pokes when it was convenient to him, getting the eye 
But then getting the calls going his way and then only just getting off warnings when it was convenient to him, like, he was playing it right. But uh, that being said, you know, Shaman was showing some some slick stuff, man. He was really uh, working with that lead elbow, which was fun. We'll, we'll talk about more lead elbows, I'm sure, when we get to Israel Adesanya. But he was doing his own version, though not as pretty. And uh, just doing some really cool stuff, you know, left doubling up on left hooks, going liver to the head and, and pulling back, drawing into the right hand, really cool stuff like that. The problem is, is even though he's getting more uh, more savvy as he should, and I expect him to, to make another jump up here as, as Shaman, uh, he doesn't move his head as much, and Arce does. And Arce is an accurate headhunter who will keep you honest by going to the body and legs as well. Um, so... Yeah, that, that, and he's a and he's a bit of a, and he's not a bit. He is a better mover. I mean, this is going to be you know, uh, you know, D Dillashaw Barrow esque is, is in the sense of we're you know, uh, 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 footwork and more sh you know shifting style kickboxing. He actually doesn't shift it much uh, as much as uh, Dillashaw or anything. But as far as footwork, just just much more mobile, taking more angles. Whereas Shane Mariah is more your typical, you know, left hook, right cross, uh, leg kick. You know. Uh, or you know, right cross, left hook, leg kick, you know. Um, he is getting better with his wrestling and get-up game, you know, as far as that goes, working with Kenny Johnson, Black House, uh, Shaman Marias is, but it's, it's weird. It's almost do or die. It's like if he goes back to his older ways and gets complacent on the ground, he's going to lose a round. But if he turtles at the wrong time, uh, Arce is good at taking backs. All his submission wins are from rear naked chokes. He's you know, When you watch him actually take the back, he's... He's really savvy there. A lot of those ti Team Tiger Showman guys, which are on this card, and I didn't really talk too much about Burgos, they don't have the accolades there, but if you look, they all are good about competing on those Nagas and Grappling Quest tournaments, and they might not, sure, they might not be the most highest level, but considering these guys aren't jujitsu heads and coming from that world, and they're coming from other martial arts, striking martial arts, pro kickboxing, karate, they're teaching, they're doing other things. Most of these guys, would, most of those guys, stereotypically would just neglect it. Be strikers who only make it a certain level in the UFC, if at all, right? And their weakness is always the ground. These guys aren't necessarily getting exposed that way, and it just, I think it's because they are making efforts to do that. Slash training with guys who can wrestle in their camps that are near to the same size, like a Jimmy Rivera. So it's this weird effect, you know. These guys are around the same size, and they're just really keeping each other well rounded. Again, these more. Um, you know, you don't have to be, I mean, you could argue that not a super camp, but they're definitely a, a chain, uh, a camp to, to themselves. But at the same time, uh, I don't want to say boxing style because they don't really fit that. But, but I guess what I'm trying to say is smaller camps. Smaller camps doing better amongst that trend. Um, and they're, they're, they're training and, and training together here. So hopefully they got a good system to go because unless it's Jimmy Rivera, Team Tiger Showman guys, don't they all fucking deliver. Yet they don't seem to get off the prelims. Um, and where I really feel bad as far as it is, is actually for their corners and more of just the, the quiet behind, more important behind the scenes aspect of it and corners having to do musical chairs. Believe me, it's, it's chaotic back there, folks. Um, even the UFC level, uh, just having to do back to back. And I think like, it is like a stretch of four fights and like three of them are Tiger Showman guys or something. So good luck to Danny, Danny and his brother Showman there. Sorry, I don't have any in front of me, but yeah. Anyways, um, but yeah, the, the gambling money looks like uh, people think that Arce is going to get a decision. If I had to say gun in the head, I would say Arce by decision. But that's right. You ready, Derek Love? That's right. Derek Love, third round play coming in. 
Arce round three plus twelve hundred. I thought it would have been bet down a little more. Um, Arce was just like I said in the previous breakdown before uh, when he was facing uh, Timor, uh, Daniel Timor. Um, is that this dude is like a round three guy. I mean, we, uh, the, the, the way he puts pace and pressure. And, uh, and so especially when you give me a guy like Daniel Timor, who's showed the gas uh, when he gets to the third round and only goes to the first round. Like, that's a round three play all day. And I I, I dare I dare say, and pat, I, I, dare, I, dare, I, dare, I dare pat myself on the back briefly, but yeah, it, it played out exactly that fucking way. And it was just so great. I just was having flashbacks watching that fight because you could smell the third round finish coming regardless. You could have had the fight on mute. But if you listen to the, the to, to the Julio Arce corner between round two and three, I mean, he's, he's got two rounds in the bag. And in the bag but uh, Showman Brothers, Danny Showman's just fucking yelling at him going, go after him. We need this round. And I love that. And you could look at it as that as reckless and... Sure, I'm biased because I was betting on it, so I was appreciating that kind of corner directive, but goddamn do I love that. Um, he's he's a third-round guy, man. He is a fucking third-round guy. By the way, uh, Matt Sales, who was, I was talking about before, if he keeps progressing, he can be a third-round guy too because um, he's like a Barbarina right now, but, he also, but he's got more of a, of a ceiling than a Barbarina, more pop than Matt, Matt Sales, by the way. I know this isn't a Matt Sales breakdown, but I wanted to throw that in there. Uh, sorry, I break these down all throughout the week, so so some so if, if I miss so much, if something comes to the surface, I want to make sure and get it out there. Anyways, all right, pushing on through. Come on, Dan, expedited, I expedited, but uh, but yeah, uh, I played the third round there. So for what that's worth. All right, next fight on the prelims: Sajara Eubanks minus six fifty, uh, Roxanne Modafferi plus four seventy five. Um, this is a rematch from the. Uh, it wasn't originally supposed to be that. I mean, obviously, we all know uh, Sajara Eubanks was brought in to face Valentina Shevchenko in the whole debacle and scorched earth. So I think, if anything, that's going to actually make some stakes for this fight because she wants to give it to Joe Rogan, you know? I wonder if she wins if they send someone else other than Joe Rogan in there for the post-fight interview. She'll probably flip. That, that wouldn't matter because she uh, she'd probably go at him and call him out anyways because he'd be right there. So I'm, I'm sure, and nor would Joe want to hide from her. So I'm sure... If she wins, it's going to be interesting. I am picking her, but my heart is with Roxanne Mataferi. Uh She's kind of on her own revenge tour. I mean, she just avenged the loss to Barb Honchak. You know, she she lost to her in the Battle of Breast Cancer back in 2010 or something like it was, and then she she beat her the last time out. Uh, and, and you know, it was an improved Mataferi. It was her first UFC win, and I pick I like many and, and the odds. You know, were, was against against her in that sense. Even though you know, how is your heart not with a girl like Mataferi? Uh, but that being said, you know, she, in her defense, it really wasn't out of nowhere. When you go back and watch her fight, she, she, she has been making this progression and that's credit to, to John Wood and, and syndicate MMA again, doing good things over there, especially with the ladies, you know, uh, Miss Jesse Jess and others, uh, got to give them love and, and, and their little family they got going down there. And, you know, a heart of that family is Mata Ferry. Um, that being said, you know, Sajara Eubanks' wrestling and grappling was better than what I would, would have stereotype from her. I had to go back and watch again. I, I didn't follow her prior to Ultimate Fight or anything like that. Um, and, again, you know, <laughs> probably for the better, she, she, she split from uh, Team Lloyd Irvin there uh, at, right after the show and uh, went with a good team. Um, Mark Henry, you know, I got a soft spot. That's a little biased to me. I got, I got a soft spot from Mark Henry and them. And, uh, you know, working with them, so she's got... Chooks, Chukagan, plus like guys around her size, like Frankie Edgar. And uh, I got to imagine, you know, making the rounds and, and living there, relocating New York. Uh, her grappling and her wrestling is going to be getting better, uh, training in those circles. So that was kind of, you know, 
not that not that it's going out on a limb saying that I was leaning toward her anyways, but yeah, that that, that really that really uh, secured it. So Eubanks should should get it, but uh, I, I put it on the stay away just because I just you know you know how I feel about these fights, folks. Don't make me say it. All right, next fight, uh, last one on the free limbs, and then we'll we'll just do maybe a very quick break, or maybe I'll push through. I'll tell you how I'm feeling. Um, Jason Knight minus 270 Jordan Rinaldi plus 230 is the comeback on him this one surprised me man. this was on my avoid list uh, because it surprised me now spoiler alert I did pick Jason Knight here but but man I mean the, the way to beat Knight is be a commensurate capable grappler and be able to get on top of him and that is Rinaldi now R- Rinaldi ends up on his back he's very active there um, granted he couldn't get going against a guy like Gregor Gillespie he looked like a fish out of water like you, if you just watch that fight and didn't watch any of other Jordan Rinaldi's, you would have think the guy is a total... Uh, I mean, you might not have the highest opinion of him uh, now, but, I mean, you really would be like, well, dude, this guy shouldn't even be in the, in the minor leagues, you know? Just, that, that was just the matchup. And uh, a talent as far as that part of the game uh, in regards to Gregor Gillespie is. But, but yeah, Rinaldi's act, is usually active off his back. But, but obviously what I was trying to say is more strong on top of Sergio Pena, brown belt, um, collegiate wrestler, and he's coming down from 55. He, I believe he has fought at 45 before. Um, uh, definitely holds win over 45ers, but uh, but yeah, I don't know how his chin's gonna hold up uh, at 45 with the weight drop. It, it you, you know, not that it was super weak, but it definitely wasn't super durable. Um, though it was like quality shots that would get him out of there. Like if you you know go back to like his one Muntasri the RFA. So on and so forth. And Muntastri's guy is like pretty much a 170. I mean, if we're being honest. So, uh, but you know, so it, it remains to be seen. You know how how this uh, weight cut's going to affect Ronaldo. He's another guy who only usually fights one uh, once a year. Jason Knight. Um, it's hard, man. You don't know what Jason Knight you're, you're going to get. Uh, ultimately, he's, he's such a wild card. But you know, it, it wasn't long. But he did do some training at Team Alpha Male for this camp, and and was talking about how he wasn't training with high level guys, and so I'm hoping. This is kind of a, a spark of a, a new Jason Knight because he's still young. He can still, again, I don't know if he's going to be a champion, but he can still turn things around to prolong his career as a contender. You know, I don't think that's out of the question. Um, and he's going to have to if he's going to spark it off now, really, if you think about it. Obviously, you know, he's not in front of me, but a three-fight losing streak, right? So, yeah, and, and you granted you could, you know, make arguments, and that was a close fight um, with uh, Makwan Amirakani. Uh, fun fight too, uh, but but yeah, uh, I, I, I'm you know I, I'm picking him here because I think he can scramble with slash out scramble Ronaldo and just on the feet. I just think his his kicks his kicks are going to be doing a lot of damage. But R- Ronaldo, you know, he, if he's not careful, he doesn't respect Ronaldo. Uh, he can be running into power too because you know again Ronaldo. Not the most devastating boxer by any means, but he does things that I really like to see. He rolls his head off the two, will finish with the lead hand. Um, and uh, he has been making improvements to his footwork uh, as far as staying mobile there. Um, so he's not he's not he's not gonna plant, you know, hopefully not, but you know it, he, he 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 sticks and moves. he's not he's he's not gonna just plant and just trade with uh, Jason Knight. So Ronaldo way live, more liver than this. I was looking at a decision prop. And decisions only like is plus like three hundred or something like that, and then Ronaldo straight up is like just plus two thirty. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to say here is the 
prop lines seem kind of out of whack. So if you're just, it's for me, it's dog or pass. And if you are going to play Rinaldi, just play the money line. Uh, I'm not playing him. I'm not picking him. But I am recommending that this be on the avoid list just for that reason. My pick is Knight. Um, so, yeah, you know what? I could use a break, but let's just fucking push through. A little less editing. All right. Main card time. Israel Adesanya, minus 325. Comeback on Derek Brunson, plus 265. Now, I can't hate on this, you know, um, at, at all. I get it. Uh, I get it. You know, I, I've been trying to be careful with the hype on the Adesanya. You know me, you know, whenever someone's super hyped, Anton is usually maybe the last to kind of a, come around to it uh, in some senses. Uh, and, and But I, going back and reading my breakdowns, I don't think I was unfair, even though I picked against Adesanya in the last fight. Uh, of course, I picked Adesanya all the way up until uh, his previous fights. Um and of course, I was a bit biased because it's Brad Tavares and Stream Couture, so that should tell you something there. But uh, but no, I was reading back, and it was actually pretty a pretty fair uh, a pretty fair uh, breakdown of him. And going back to watch the fight, I was just so impressed. I mean, I was impressed live. I was super impressed live. I was always giving it up to Izzy live, um, but even more impressed in the watch back. Just just the veteran savvy. He's really above it. And, you know, when he says he's, his wrestling starts before the, 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 the engagement begin, he really does that, man. He's, he's always changing stances and angles and making you adjust. I mean, just the little traps that he's setting in there are just so beautiful. They never stop. They never stop. Yeah. The knockout power and one punch stuff is definitely overblown. He's not, not that he can't, you go back to his kickboxing, get some nice hooks, get some nice kicks. He can bring the reckoning. I'm not, you know, but, uh, it's more of an accumulative style and more of a building feeling style is what I guess I'm trying to say. It's not like a explosive, you know, Ningado, I'm going to just crush you in the first round kind of a style. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I see that being his favor here, which is ironic because Brunson's a more experienced guy. Brunson's advantages in wrestling. Brunson... Uh, as more experiences and victories going to decision, and you put those in the MMA math strategy machine, and he, Brunson, wrestling, veteran, decision, like those should be keywords that pop up, yet, no, not only is he not favored, he, I favor Adesanya the longer the fight goes. Um, you know, in fact, uh, even though I, I don't think it's as likely, I, I would maybe be less surprised than most if Brunson were to upset KO Adesanya. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say there is that even though I'm not picking that to happen, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Brunson, in my opinion, has more of a chance of knocking out Adesanya than uh, beating him by decision. And the reason is the, the reason being the reason why that is is the same reason why I'm not picking Derek Brunson here is because he can't trust him. He can't trust him at the end of the day. It's not that he doesn't have the skills. He does. He's got the skills. He's got the credentials. He's shown the abilities, not just off paper, but or not just on paper, but off paper too, inside that octagon. He showed the skills. We know he can do it, but most of them can't. Most of us can't trust him, and the line reflects that. And you, you know, listening to interviews, uh, the one good thing about waiting a little bit later in the week, we get, we get to listen to those media interviews before uh, recording these things, and. You know, you can tell the frustration to him, too, you know. That's how I translate lines. Like, he's saying, like, man, I got no one to blame but myself for being in this spot. You know, he almost knows he's in that gatekeeper spot right now. And he's going to have to dig himself out. And he's 
He's about to turn 35, which, granted, middleweight, you have a little bit of a longer leash. But like I said before, middleweight ain't heavyweight um, in that regard. So his clock's ticking, and his trend is, well, kind of smitten us. You know, it's left a taste in our mouth, and apparently his, too. So uh, if Derek Brunson can humble, man, I, you know, I love, I, 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 I love veteran dudes reminding and, and shutting down the hype. I can always appreciate that stuff, but... Uh, but like I said, when we had Izzy in the studio after his, maybe even before, it was before his UFC debut. That's right. We had him in before his UFC debut. And I said it then, this dude's got the it factor. I don't find myself saying it that much, but this guy's got it, man. Um, no denying his talent, but uh, I really like his personality too. Uh, I know he could come off as brash or, or you know, cocky, but I don't think so. I, I love it, man. I, 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 I dig it. Um, I want to listen to him and uh, Dan Hooker's thing more. Uh, Dan Hooker, I love that guy too. Love how he breaks stuff down. And if Izzy's like got that Dan Hooker swag to him, they like get nerding out and getting all in the stuff. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Consider me a fan. You know, doesn't mean I I, I got to pick against these guys on media. I got to stand biased in that sense. But I, hey, man, I, believe me, I ain't hating. I got nothing but love for these guys. Um, and I'm picking uh, Izzy here. I think Israel Adesanya is going to get it done in the third round. Um, it's plus 975, so a lot of people think that. And again, if you know my rule of thumb, it's like if I'm going to even play with a stupid degenerate flyer like that, it's got to at least be like, you know, well, it doesn't really matter, I guess, once you're getting that high. But I guess I, I like to say that, you know, plus, plus 1,025 is usually that baseline. But if you want to play it, it's out there. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to sprinkle on it, but that is the pick by third round. All right, next fight. Carl Roberson minus two eighty. Jack Marshman comeback plus two forty. Man, I love I love Jack Marshman. Love the accent. Love his style. Uh, love his uh, attitude about himself. And wanted to pick him here. You know, he was an underdog. Not a lot of people in the uh, in the staff picks were picking him. But you know, at the end of the day, the reason why I I, I don't I, I I feel like I, I again why I say I, I don't I. I kind of lost my competitive edge in a lot of these things because I feel like I have to say that. It's like a strategy. It's like I'm, I'm talking myself into it because as soon as you start putting pressure on yourself, like, oh, my, my percentage is going low, or, oh, I'm in a competition with these guys, you start making picks and predicating upon uh, stressful-type scenarios, and that never makes anything good for in life, so why would it make for good for your picks? Um, you at the end of the day, you got got to stick to the analysis. Something I've said on this podcast since day one, and guess what? I'm still saying it now. And as much as I like Jack Marshman, the analysis pointed to Roberson. Um, that said, <laughs> is it confident? No, uh, I'm not playing it for the price that he's on. Um, just because again, Roberson's got such a sketchy sample size, he hasn't had a lot. Uh, of uh, MMA fights, but he has had a couple amateur fights, and he's finished the majority of them. He's even got a decent amount of submissions, shows that his leg dexterity and ground uh, senses seem to be in the right place, training with guys like Corey Anderson and that contingent up there, training with David Branch, get a lot of quality training partners for this camp. But uh, then you look, at, oh, he's a pro kickboxer. Well, it's glory, and you know, glory doesn't exactly have the highest entry standards, and he's 0-3. Well, it's deceptive 0 3. His first fight was against Jerome LeBanner, and that's, that's an excusable loss. Okay, well, that is an excusable loss. In fact, you can argue that he won. If you go back and watch that fight, he knocked out LeBanner in the second round. And 
the ref did a bunch of dirty tactics and gave him a dirty count because the fight was in France. And even though they still they still let the banner survive, you can still argue that Robertson won the decision. So it's really crafty, right? It's this weird math that starts countering back and forth. And at the end of the day, you just got this really sketchy sample size behind this really athletic dude that looks like he's got a decent ceiling behind him, which is Carl Robertson. So... <sighs> Ultimately, though, the spirit of his game seems to be kind of the perfect fit for a guy like Marshman. You've, he's more athletic. Uh, he's durable where he can take a shot, recover. Um, he doesn't look like he's going to be, comp- you know, his gas tank looks like he could be suspect, but let's be honest, Marshman, especially looking at that Ryan Jane's fight, granted, uh, for all things that Ryan Jane's can't do, he does put more of an output than, than even a guy like Carl, Robert, uh, like Carl Robertson when he's being aggressive will put out. So perhaps that that's has ha, that has to do with it. Needless, nevertheless, uh, Marshman's a guy who who gets who's used to getting the finish, and even though he's more experienced, you still can't trust him down the stretch, despite being the more experienced and veteran guy. So it's going to come down to exchanges and exchanges. I like the South Paul Roberson. He's even though he he likes to come forward, and that's where he's gotten in trouble. He seems to do his best when he counters, and I think he's moving more toward that sensibility, um, like like most guys do. And uh, or at least get comfortable with it at the very least. And uh, I just see his left cross counters and and his kicks being able to chew up Marshman, who puts his, you know, his his uh his weight real heavy on the the lead the lead foot because he's 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 operating out of that boxing stance. And you know, people talk about Marshman's punch placement. He's got good punch placement. And yes, the feints and footwork, but I think the head movement's a bit overblown. He will kind of move his head to get him into those rhythms. You know, you kind of psych yourself out. You're moving your head left to right, and then you start working your punches. You start working your rhythm off it. Yes, he does do that, but once he gets into the pocket where it matters, like his head just goes straight up, and he just starts going rock him, sock him. And that's where he gets into trouble. Uh, and I, I don't know if he wants to do that against, you know, Marshman, not the biggest middleweight, which is probably why he try, tried and failed to go to a welterweight against a guy like Roberson, who's used to facing sizable light heavy to heavyweight guys as a light, former light heavyweight and, you know, fights at middleweight, no problem. So uh, I'll take Roberson, but my heart's with Marshman, and I'm not recommending you to put money on it either way. Put it that way. All right, next fight. David Branch, minus 325. And oh, my 345. Wow, it went up. Okay, sorry, my eyes were bad. Jared Cannonier, plus 285. Must have recently went up. Um, yeah, uh, Cannonier coming in kind of late notice here. Uh, but he was training for a fight uh, for a couple cards down the road. Granted, it was against the Southpaw. Um, Whereas Branch training with southpaws and orthodox fighters, which is great because now he gets a switch stance fighter, uh, but he doesn't have to really worry so much about the ground game. So I guess his, his, he was supposed to originally face Jacare. Got a feel for Branch. Second time he's had a high-level opponent pulled from him. But I got to imagine it was to keep it standing in box, whereas you could argue he should go the opposite here, which I see him doing. I see him either playing things out on the feet First, and then kind of knowing he's going to have the wrestling on his back pocket, which I don't blame him because even though that could be dangerous against a guy like Cannonier, who's used to trading with heavyweights and light heavyweights, you know, this is his first fight at middleweight, but this guy's been talking about it for years, and he's kind of been working on his diet for years. His wife's a dietitian. So even though first fight at light heavyweight uh, on short notice is not good, definitely plays into why I'm picking against him. But that said, I will argue not as a condemning factor as one would think, if that makes sense. Um, 
But yeah, uh, the reason why I don't necessarily condemn it, though, from the Branch side is because Branch, not just underrated boxing, he's been boxing for some time, the Brooklynite, and reminded us of that in his Thiago Santos fight. Not just because of that, but the Thiago Santos fight, he finished him with a right hand, but it's Branch's left hand that really does a lot of the damage. He's got a real accurate left hand, whether it's jabs or mainly his left hook. And uh, whether Cannoneers facing southpaws or orthodox fighters, left hand seems to be the common, common culprit for him. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if David Branch tags Cannoneer, maybe not as emphatically as Thiago Santos, but I could see him sparking off and like rocking him and then getting the finish by, by submission because Cannoneer, not only can he be taken down uh, pretty easily, uh, Branch shows he can take guys down reactively in the open. He can do single legs or double legs against the fence. So I think he's going to be able to get Cannoneer down. In Cannoneer's defense, Cannoneer has improved his get-up game. Here's the problem. Here's why I think Branch will, and you'll see in the summary, uh, should come out on Junkie uh, today or uh, Friday or when, you, when you're listening to this, um, is that he tends to, uh, Cannoneer tends to turtle when he tries to stand. And at heavyweight and light heavyweight, he's able to get away with it because there's not a lot of back takers in those divisions. But now he's going down to middleweight. Not just that, but he's going against a middleweight who's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt under Henzo Gracie. But not just that, David Branch actually works really well from the front headlock because not only does he give back takes, which obviously David Branch can take a back and can choke someone out easily, but he's actually really good from the front headlock as well and has options from there, which, yes, of course, can parlay to a back take in and itself. So I'm going with David Branch by submission. I think he's got to make a... He's got to make a statement here, and as well, back to the age thing, being at middleweight, he's definitely at the age where he's got to shit or get off the pot, so uh, I got Branch big here. I think Branch can, you know, I don't uh, seem to parlay these days, but Branch will be in that. In fact, he's the only person I can honestly recommend if you want, if you're, you're a parlay player. Uh, I have jotted down here for minus 325. Of course, I wrote this down earlier in the week. It's climbing higher now, and I don't blame that. Um and props, I did put a unit uh, branch inside the distance, plus 164. I just put put one unit there. Um, and I'll review these plays at the end. All right, next fight. Uh, wow. Okay, Coleman event time. Ronaldo Souza, uh, plus 160. And Wyman is your favorite, minus 185. This fight's on the avoid list because it's just it's so hard to trust either guy. Uh, again, we don't know what we're going to get. Um I love both guys. I've been wanting to see this fight since like 2014. It was been in the brewing. And 2014, we really thought we were going to see it. Jacare was kind of getting jerked around. No one wanted to fight the dude. You could argue we could have seen it early 2015. Obviously, things happen the way they happen. That UFC 194 night changes a lot of fortunes for a lot of people. Um, and it's just a weird time in the sport. Uh, USADA came in at November 2015. So it's like three months where, you know, I was just talking to... I believe she's talking to Brian uh, about this, where we're just like, dude, like, remember that? Like, it was just so crazy trying to bet on fights because we're like, okay, you know, it didn't matter if a guy was like a 10 fight veteran in the UFC because it, it felt at that period of time, that first like three to six months after USADA came, it was like everyone's first fight. We're, you know, we're like, okay, who's showing up with a gas tank? Who's showing up deflated? Like, it was all this weird shit. And uh, I am, I legitimately love and, and really. Love watching both guys, uh, great fighters, both these guys. So I really don't want to be disrespectful, but any of y'all want to be any of the eye testers, the allegedly people throwing accusations around for the things I'm talking about, you can argue from eye test physicality to 
more so in Jacare's case, case, and you can also argue for Weidman. He doesn't exactly uh, a cardio machine himself. Uh, pace, you know, the, these things you kind of look for for markers. And both guys, uh, you could argue, you know, uh, granted, there's tough fights at tough times, and they both had a um, plethora of injuries between these fights. So, again, this is all alleged speculation. You can connect whatever dots you want. I'm not saying that I'm connecting the dots. I'm just throwing the stuff out there, folks. You guys interpret it how you want to. The information... Uh, the records are, are are there for you to interpret, just like they are for any other fight. Okay, I love and respect these guys. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but just trying to be honest as to why I don't feel confident in knowing what version of these guys we're going to get. Uh, I will argue, I didn't address it too much in the breakdown uh, as far as Wyman's time off and the opponent change. Um, I will argue that the time off, I actually don't think it's a bad thing for Wyman, especially a guy who's, who's traditionally taking damage. I mean, not just the stoppage losses, those three in a row, but you go back to his last two wins before he got his first losses, those last two successful title defenses, he was rocked and asking where he was and what happened. The, both the Vitor and Leota fights their points, right? I mean, this is a, a disturbing trend, so that's why even though I was reading my Gaslam and Weidman breakdown and I pretty much lay it down like, uh, Weidman should win this fight, and he should win it by abusing Gaslam from the turtle position, which is exactly what he did. But my dumbass didn't pick it because that damage trend was just so crazy. And sure, he won, but the damage trend re reared itself in that fight too because he got dropped. Uh, he recovered fast, but he got dropped by Gaslam, right? A guy who should be fighting at seventy. Um, so again, it just it, it, you're not sure. But I would argue the opponent change. You know, it, it should it, it should. Uh, favor Jacare more because Jacare was training for an orthodox boxer who's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and could wrestle, David Branch, and that that much d different styles, but similar archetype, right, to Weidman, whereas Weidman was training for a guy with a great ground game in Rockhold, but a southpaw, a long-rangey southpaw. That being said, going from southpaw to orthodox is much easier than going from orthodox to southpaw, even a guy like Weidman who's facing an inordinate mouth of southpaws. So I don't think that's a problem, especially consider who Weidman's training with, the aforementioned branch who is training for Souza. Um, and again, these guys have probably already had a game plan for one another. I mean, these guys have been on each other's radar for at least four years, at least four, probably five years easily. Um, so uh, yeah, basically, I, I think uh, you read the in-depth breakdown a little more if you want. But just I basically just think Weidman's going to be able to dictate this, uh, the wrestling part of the game. And uh, and if it becomes a kickboxing match, I, I I favor his cardio down the stretch. Again, he's not a world beater in that sense, but I like his footwork better. I like the way he moves and exchanges better. Um, he, he, he has the length and uses the length more. It's, he's just got to be careful with that first round. Not that Jacare can't finish outside of the first round, but Jacare's pace, he just seems to hit a fucking wall. So, uh that was really the selling point for me. I picked Weidman, but I wasn't confident enough to play it, despite it being one of the more playable lines, uh, especially as far as favorites go for this card, for the, what that's worth. But I didn't play it. All right, main event time. Daniel Cormier, minus 650. Derek Lewis, the comeback is plus 475. All right, this tightened up a bit. Not that it's tight or tight enough to play, but from the ridiculous lines that it opened at were... You know, as my colleague Ben Folks said, are we just going to pretend Derek loses and have a chance here? Like this is like, these aren't heavyweights throwing. 
Which I get. Yes, DC should dominate. He should be a big favorite. But as you know, Dan Tom just always hates to, whenever uh, you know absolutes are are kind of spoken in like 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 these things can't happen. And um, I'm not gonna get too into it because I feel like I did a kind of a breakdown earlier. You know, I was, I was talking with, on on a, a podcast or two ago with uh, a man Jordan Killian where. Again, I tipped my hand then I, that I had Cormier, but it just, you know, you look at it. Derek Lewis said so himself, man. Uh, people who wrestle him tend to lose, and people who strike with him tend to win. So, you know, Cormier's hand looks to be good, better than what I was maybe worried or might we would have been blowing, but who says it doesn't get hurt during the fight? Uh, and if that hand gets re-injured again, as it probably is more prone to do, I don't see DC doing it with his left hand because DC really hasn't even rocked anybody, much less dropped anybody with his left hand. Uh, you know, uh, his underrated kicks. I love when DC throws head kicks. It's like the funniest looking thing. It's so awesome. But, you know, these aren't finishing weapons for DC. That right hand is his weapon. He, I would argue he's more right hand dependent fighter than Hendo. You know, Hendo's got uh, knockouts with his left hand. I don't see that with DC. So if DC is forced to wrestle uh, from, you know, and, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, Derek Lewis saying he's his best bad cardio, and it, it does look like it, but it's better than he's giving credit for. You know, DC's right. DC's super smart. You know, going back and watch interviews from him, he always does his homework on his opponents. So so that's that's what I, that's another thing to feel good if you're a DC backer here. And he, he, he spots it. He knows that Derek Lewis is playing possum. He knows he's bullshitting a lot of these answers. Uh, and Derek Lewis kind of has his own rebuttals to that, but but the point is DC is not buying the smoke, which is good, which is smart. You can't sleep on a guy like Derek Lewis, um, although you could perceive that DC is from certain things. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just what worries me is what if he is playing possum and sets him up, you know, for later on and just kind of you know doesn't waste energy and just just. You know, waits for DC for that for that little bit of a lull. You know, as we saw with an aggressive pressure wrestling game plan, even the greats like his stablemate Khabib Nurmagomedov had to eventually take a round off there uh, if he didn't get the finish right. And uh, Connor wasn't able to do much with it, but uh, a heavyweight like Derek Lewis—that's much more scarier than a guy like Conor McGregor any day. A tired Derek Lewis than a tired Conor McGregor, and, um, and that was a prepared Khabib. I mean, this is, you know, where's DC's cardio at? I mean, you know, he, he wasn't getting ready for a fight. Um, he was injured. Uh, there wasn't anything on the table up until this, really, for the most part. So, I mean, these are all, you know, really interesting questions. And then shouts to Brian. He can rub it in everybody's face, especially if, if uh, Derek Lewis gets the knockout. Uh, I don't like to make too big of things like this because it's just, I can't really. You know, it's just footage. The magic of editing, but it was weird they chose to to to, to put this in. And you, you like edit everything, you don't get context, and most importantly, you don't get context of where their feet placement. Obviously, feet placement are are important exchanges because it gives you the context for the movement that's being executed or their style as to how the fighters are moving. But also, and more importantly, it tells you how one fighter how much power he's putting into the shot. Your that is in question, and the other fighter where his feet are placed will tell you where he's at as far as absorbing the shot. And again, that's going to provide a context as far as who's got badass power and who's got not so good of a chin or both or neither. Uh, the foot placement's going to, going to help fill in some of those blanks. It's still subjective. We're not those fighters. You know, we're not in the matrix here. It's subjective at the end of the day, but th those help provide context and uh, 
shouts to Brian. He just wanted me to point out. He's like, he's like he texted me. He's like, hey, it's four minute and fifty two mark of USC embedded video three, I believe it is. Um, DC sparring. He looks like he gets hit with a left hook, like a fadeaway left hook, and his eyes kind of go wide and he loses balance. And his eyes definitely go wide and he loses balance. But is he losing balance off something um, that we're not seeing? Is it just kind of a footing thing? Because even when you kind of go off balance, what do your eyes do? You, you know, your eyes go wide, and what does your hands do? Your hands move out, right? It's kind of like a natural reaction, you know. Is that you know? Does that necessarily mean he's rocked, or is he just kind of losing balance? So you know, uh, my man Brian was selling out pretty hard on it. Was asking for my opinion. It's def I definitely think it's worthy to bring up. I don't see anyone else bringing it up. So shouts to Brian. He can rub that in, in our face if, if there's something to that. I'm sure if he gets knocked out, then then you know that'll look more interesting in hindsight. But I, I obviously can't bite on stuff like that. But I, I just didn't want to bring it up for a devil's advocate. A lot of stuff we could point to if this thing goes off the fucking tracks. I mean, we are, like I said before, we are tempting the MMA gods here with this with this goddamn thing, you know. Um, Derek Lewis looks in good shape. He's coming in off a fight. You know, I think he's going to be in better shape than he's given out to be. But how is he mentally? Because, man, you know, all of a sudden he's interacting like, oh, management, you can contact me on his Instagram. Like, they are really selling out on this train. They've been taking last-minute sponsors, doing all this stuff, and, you know, to the point where Derek Lewis didn't work out the open workout. You know, he's exhausted from all these, you know, all these uh, advertisements, plus all the, just the media that would be required of him alone for a spot like this, for a title fight that he's not used to nor has experience. So... So many fucking intangibles. Um, of course, I picked DC, but but you know, he should be the favorite. But just anybody saying that Derek loses no chance at all is crazy talk. I mean, obviously DC is going to say that. He should say that. He's having to fight him. He's a badass. I have no issue with that. I'm just saying in general, like I'm just going to watch the fireworks. I, I'm 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 picking DC. I'm a DC fan, uh, but I'm also a Derek Lewis fan, and I can't feel bad for DC. Um, if he loses, because he put himself in the spot, you know, uh, he's tempted the gods here. So um, the pick is DC, but we will see. All right. Um, submissions and transitions reminder. If you guys want to uh, hit me up, you can either DM me or DM the podcast. I'm at, at Dan Tom MMA on Twitter, uh, at the PYM podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Send us messages there, ads there. Uh, and just add the podcast. It helps us a lot. I don't spam the feed. And it just really does help us a lot. At the PYM podcast on all platforms. If you can go ahead and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, that would be awesome. If you really feel so inclined, you can leave an interv uh, a review. Um, I will read those on the show. I haven't got a new one in a while, but those will be read on the show. And I'm going to skip this one, but I'm, I also have some Amazon and Onnit products that you purchase through MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. That's right. If you are not an iTunes subscriber and you're like, Dan, what the fuck? Are you ever going to put it in Stitcher at this point? Uh, there is a place you get this podcast, MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. You no longer have to go forward slash podcast, partly because I don't update that part page anymore, but because it is all on the front page for you. Embedded, smartphone-friendly players. That's right. You don't have to keep the page refreshed. You don't have to keep it on. You just press play, uh, hit the exit button, and go about your smartphone navigating, and my podcast will play in the background as if... Uh, it is playing through your iTunes or any of your other custom uh, custom players. So there is an option to listen to this. And on that same page, 
You might have to toggle to the side, but no matter what page you're on, MixedMartialAnalyst.com, there will be click-throughs for Amazon and on it. Again, if you like on it, a lot of you guys work out or any of their stuff. Uh, I like the hemp protein, the alpha brain. They're, they're crucial staples. Or Amazon. You can get anything through Amazon next time you're having to buy a movie, some Halloween movies, your Halloween costume. Christmas is coming up. And uh, again, you just click through. It doesn't cost you anything. You buy what you were already going to buy, and Amazon just takes a small percentage, kicks it back here to the podcast um, to help the podcast out, help me out, help you out. You're buying for somebody to help them out. That's like four fucking winners right there for doing one click. Four fucking winners. Jesus, Christmas season's coming up. Give it a click through. I'm going to give you a shout here. Not personally, obviously. I don't get any of your information. You are protected. It just gives me a nice, fun list of the products you buy. And I will be listing those products off in the next episode, as I've done on past episodes, commenting then on them funny-like and whatnot. So any love there is much appreciated. I'm going to go ahead and stick to my word and get the fuck out of here. Uh, enjoy the pay-per-view. Try not to get so caught up in the minutia of everything. But always remember to have fun. Don't think things so personally. I'm trying to do that myself. And always protect your neck.